Babies with RoboHub, the podcast for news and views on robotics. Hi and welcome to the RoboHub podcast. In today's episode, we take a closer look at how robots could transform the lives of couples trying for a baby using artificial insemination. Every year, thousands of couples across the globe seek the help of medical professionals to get pregnant. Artificial insemination has come on leaps and bounds since it was first used towards the end of the 19th century. But the chances of success remain relatively slim and the costs can be very high, both financially and emotionally. At the University of Toronto, PhD candidate Juran Zhang is working on a robotic technology that could support artificial insemination and increase the chances of success for the procedure. He spoke to our interviewer Audro about how precise robotic manipulators can be used to extract a single sperm from a sample, how sperm can be evaluated for fitness using computer vision, and how this technology could be used in future to support artificial insemination procedures. Hi, welcome to RoboHub's podcast. Hi, uh, Would- I'm Joran. Thanks for having me here. Would you introduce yourself? Um, my name is Joran Zhang. I'm from the uh, University of Toronto. Mm-hmm. I'm a uh, PhD student in my fifth year. So I'm planning to graduate this year. What problems do you work on solving? Okay, so the problem I'm working on is to uh, help people, the infertile people, to have a baby and using the robotics approach. Mm-hmm. And what does that mean exactly? Yeah, so normally uh, people will have their children naturally. Mm-hmm. But in some cases, if there are some problems in their reproductive uh, system, they cannot have a baby by, by themselves. So they seek for fertilization treatment. And in the treatment, it's very simple. You have a uh, sperm from the father, and you have the egg cell from the mother, and you manually insert or inject that sperm into the egg cell. Then mm-hmm. you have a baby. Yeah, and my project is to develop a robot to manipulate like, a single sperm and egg cell, mm-hmm. and then to achieve fertilization. Okay. And how do you do this with the robot? Mm, roughly, everything is built on a uh, standard microscope. So it's the standard clinical setup, the mm-hmm. same as you uh, see everything in the uh, clinics. And uh, we have very fine, uh, very accurate motors or micro manipulators to use very high accuracy motion to place the, for example, a needle or a pump mm-hmm. to, um, for example, pick up the sperm and uh, move the sperm to the egg and then do the injection. Mm-hmm. And also we control the pressure, control the position, control the speed, that stuff. Gotcha. So it's, is it essentially a robotic arm that moves and scoops up a robo- uh, sperm with extreme accuracy? Yeah, roughly you can imagine that. And also we have some like additional positioning stage on the uh, microscope. So the, the, the difference is that normally you have the stage, mm-hmm. you just manually control it, use a joystick mm. to move it. And now we are sending commands through our robot. 
And also we have a camera mounted on the microscope. Mm -hmm. So the robot has its eye to, to see the vision, everything what's going on. How do you pick up the sperm? Is it a, a shovel, <laughs> like a little tiny shovel? Is it like a little tiny suction thing? Yeah, it's like a li little uh, tiny suction thing. Ah. So it's uh, a hydraulic pump. Mm -hmm. So you control the position of the piston. Yes. And then you can suck the sperm into the, a very fine needle. And then the size of the needle is around 5 micron. How, how large is that compared yeah, to? Yeah, so um, roughly the diameter of a uh, human hair is around 100 micron. So gotcha. the needle is about 20 times the size of a smaller... Or 120th the, the size of a hair. Yeah. yeah. That's how small the, the sperm is. Gotcha. And also for, for dimension, the, the axial, for human axial, mm -hmm. it's roughly the same as the, the hair. Mm. It's around 100 micron. In micro. diameter? Yeah, in diameter. Ah. And then so how do you make... So I know you don't focus on the hardware per se, you buy a robotic arm for, or a yeah. tool for this, but how does it achieve such accurate position control? Mm, actually, there are three types of motors that can mm. achieve such high accuracy, and one is using piezo. So, Piezoelectric materials? Yeah. And those, um, you supply a voltage and it changes the yeah, orientation so those, of... Yeah, those materials just uh, add some voltage, uh -huh. and then the material will deform by very mm -hmm. small uh, deformation. Mm -hmm. like in nanometers, mm. and uh, you control the voltage, then you can control the displacement. Gotcha. Yeah. And also the second one is just DC motor, mm -hmm. and you use closed-loop control. So you add an uh, encoder to the motor, mm -hmm. and the closed-loop control the, uh, the motion. Mm -hmm. and the accuracy is around 100 nanometer. Gotcha. And you gear it in such a way that a lot of spins translate yeah. to just a yeah. little bit of motion. Is it yeah. true? Yeah, that's true. Gotcha. The third type is a stepper motor. And uh, how you achieve that high accuracy is that you use um, micro-stepping. Mm -hmm. So basically we divide the, each step into multiple micro-steps. So we can achieve higher accuracy. Mm. Yeah, but that's not closed-loop controlled. It's mm -hmm. not like DC motors. Gotcha. Yeah. Now how do you calibrate with this? How do you, um, I assume that there's some calibration process. Yeah, there's some calibration. So uh, ideally, the just like a cartoon of the process, maybe. Yeah. Because I think we talked about it earlier, and you said it was quite tedious. Yeah, it's quite tedious because, you know, it's a microscope. Everything uh -huh. is magnified, so your field of view, what you see, is so limited, and you have to locate your, for example, the anti factor, mm -hmm. into a field of view, also into the focus, mm -hmm. and that process is very tedious. Otherwise, you cannot calibrate. Mm. Um, gotcha. Yeah, the simplest thing you can do is you have a, uh, a glass slide with calibration patterns. It's uh, a commercial product. Oh. Yeah, and then you can move that, that thing into a field of view. Is it almost like calibrating a 3D printer when it goes and touches yeah. each of the corners? Yeah, yeah. And then roughly like that. Interesting. Yeah, and also you need to make sure that all your stage mm -hmm. or the robotic arms, how they align with the uh, camera mm. should be like in parallel so you don't have any... Uh, additional Jacobian matrix to mm -hmm. do the rotation stuff. Yeah. Yeah, and it makes it easier to control. Definitely. Yeah. And so this arm that uh, picks up the sperm, it basically comes from the top, correct? Yeah, it's from the top. And then it just moves to the correct position, and then it sucks the sperm in. Yeah. And then how do you insert it into an egg? It's similar. So we have the pump to control the negative pressure. Mm -hmm. It also generates the positive pressure. Mm -hmm. So just push the... Um, 
piston forward. Actually, mm -hmm. we have a motor connected to the piston. So everything is con con uh, converted into the motion control of the motor. Mm -hmm. And I have to say, although the accuracy is very high, um, the robot looks like a, uh, a huge robot. Yeah. yeah I mean, the, the, the size of the manipulator itself is Tiny. not that small. But the robot controlling it is huge. Yeah. Because of the gearings, because of all of the sensing. Yeah, yeah. So the size is like 10 to 20 centimeters of each mm -hmm. arm, but the motion range is very small, like two or three centimeters. Mm. Even though that's small. It's so big, yeah. Yes, it's, it's already so big for, for the field view to cover the entire space uh, under a microscope. Gotcha. Yeah. Very interesting. Okay, so then you, you have the sperm in the manipulator. Yeah. So you've grabbed it from a tray that probably has lots of sperm. You grab one. Yeah. And then you switch the tray and you go to one that has an egg in it. Yeah. And then you insert the sperm in the egg. How do you make sure so you how do you make sure you put it in the egg? Like I imagine sensing yeah. at that level is very difficult. Yeah. You probably do it visually, but then how do you ensure that it works well? So normally so ideally you just in inject or you position the needle into like to to penetrate the egg membrane. Yep. Yeah, but and also you can see it through mm. the, the images. Also we can apply some negative pressure to suck something into the needle. Mm. And then once you see some oh. features or um, something from the axle is already uh -huh. into the needle, you know yeah. it's already in. Yeah. Gotcha. That's very interesting. Okay, and then after that, um, the process continues. It go, you then inseminate a woman with yeah. this, and then a baby is born. Yeah. Nine months later. Yeah, nine months later. Gotcha. Okay, now, what is done normally? Why, why use robots for this? Okay, so normally it requires um, a highly trained, highly uh, experienced embryologist to do it. Mm -hmm. Actually, I'm also collaborating with our um, uh, IVF centers, clini mm -hmm. clinics around the university, and um, I talk to embryologists a lot. Mm -hmm. And that skill, also been to their lab, to yeah. observe the entire process. Um, everything is well controlled, Yeah, and you need very fine positioning accuracy or very skilled hand to manipulate everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, And it takes about five to ten years to train an embryologist. Mm -hmm. And our starting point was to uh, automate this process. Mm -hmm. To um, I'm, I'm not saying we are just replace the um, embryologist with our robot. We want to help them make their job easier. Mm -hmm. For example, you still make some choice because de decision making is very hard for robots. Mm -hmm. And for example, you decide which sperm you want to pick, mm -hmm. and then you click a button, the robot will pick up the sperm for you. Mm -hmm. And uh, you are also investigating that, though, how to assess the fitness of the sperm automatically. Yeah, that that's our second stage. Mm -hmm. So the first stage is to automate everything to uh, free the human operator from the tedious procedure, mm -hmm. because they are doing like tens of cycles per day, yeah. every day. And I imagine like they're using special tools for it. You can't just control it with your fingers, the yeah. little suction thing yeah. that the embryologist uses. Yeah. Hmm. And our second stage is to, uh, we don't only make this, like replace human or free them. Mm -hmm. We want to bring some adding values. 
So can robots do something better? And this something right now in my project is to select the best spur. Mm-hmm. And the best, you need to define the best, right? Mm-hmm. And best in our case, um, because the function of a, of a sperm is to deliver DNA or genetic materials. Mm-hmm. And the quality of the DNA is very important. Mm-hmm. And my definition of best is the DNA fragmentation. So, Say it again? DNA fragmentation. From fragmentation? Yeah. So it's a physical breakage of the DNA double strand. Oh. Normally it should be intact. It's not mm-hmm. broken. Yeah, if it's broken, just breaks into two pieces or multiple pieces, mm-hmm. the gene will not be expressed and the function will be, will be wrong. Hmm. Yeah. And also, what does it result in? So is this common that a sperm will yeah. fertilize an egg that has a broken yeah. um, DNA? One reason we choose DNA fermentation is it is the most common factor causing male infertility. Oh, interesting. Yeah, for example, uh, smoking. If you smoke too much, mm-hmm. a lot, your, it's a high, you have a higher chance to have D, uh, DNA fragmented sperm. Hmm. Also, if you are taking, for example, um, electromagnetic radiation, yeah. also the um, toxic from the environment, okay. or even obesity will cause DNA fragmentation. Hmm. And sometimes you have a fever, and high temperature will break the DNA yeah. double strain. And then the result in children. The result in children is from this defragmentation. Yeah, is a uh, malfunction in the gene expression. So the embryo will either not develop, yeah. or it will not implant into the uh, uterus. Oh, so it just won't be successful. Won't be successful. Ah. Sometimes it will still fertilize the egg, uh-huh. but if you culture the egg for a few days, for example, five days, yeah, you'll see the difference. The egg quality is much worse. Wait, how do you define that? Uh, you can just observe. So normally, the clinical st- uh, practice is to use morphology. Mm-hmm. So how this embryo look? Looks, mm-hmm. They have multiple criteria for a normal embryo, mm-hmm. and you can grade them into grade A, B, C, D. Of mm-hmm. course, A is the best. Okay. Yeah, and then they based on their grading, you always u- use the best embryo available to be transferred back into the mother. Ah. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. And then, so how, so you look for sperm that do not have defragmentation. Yeah. How do you see this in them? Um, a very straightforward idea is to measure the DNA fragmentation level of each single sperm mm-hmm. and then compare it, rank them, you choose the best one. And um, the thing is, all these DNA measurements, assays, are invasive, meaning you have to kill the sperm. Yeah. You have to lyse the sperm and destroy the sperm mm-hmm. and making it not applicable for treatment further. Yeah. Yeah. But you can generate a data set or yeah. something. This so way, our right, approach is, is a uh, how do you synthesize? How do, so, uh, I mean, I get that you destroy the sperm, but how do you synthesize the sperm into results? Like uh, how, th- 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 that's why we don't choose the invasive, the traditional method. Oh. Yeah. So clinical practice is to observe, based on their experience, they just look at the video, the real-time video captured from the microscope. Hmm. And you see multiple sperms swimming within the same field of view. And then you choose the one that you think the best. Hmm. Yeah. And based on, for example, their mortality, how fast 
it is, mm -hmm. whether its trajectory is linear or it's uh, moving in a big circle, yeah, yeah, or how the morphology looks, mm -hmm. meaning the sperm is in a good shape. Yeah, um, some sperm don't even have a yeah. The flagella. Yeah, yeah, and some are the tail. Basically, yeah, some don't have the head. Weird. So it's just a flagella. Yeah, Whoa. and they can still swim. That's yeah, why you it's also just need. The tail. That's so yeah. funny. That's why you you also need to consider the morphology, huh. because all the DNA, the genetic materials, are within the sperm head. Yeah. Yeah. Some sperms will have two heads. Weird. Yeah. Of course, you don't want. You don't get to twins when that happens. No. <laughs> what do you get? I don't know because no one, no one intentionally knows. use that for treatment. Ah, yeah. Interesting. Now, is it a thing of genetic diversity that they have kind of like different strategies that get them into the egg? Where like so, some will have like a circular path, and some will have a straight path. Some will be like vigorous swimmers, and some will let the tides carry them. Yeah. Is it is this like a genetic strategy that doesn't necessarily relate to fitness, or is it definitely related to fitness of the sperm? Um, I would say it's not clear. Mm. I mean, it's not known what the mechanism is, like in natural selection. Yeah. Yeah. So we we only, we only know we have like millions of sperm mm -hmm. to compete for their single egg. Yeah. Yeah, and who will win, we don't know. <laughs> yeah, and uh, there's a gap for, for, for the clinical practice. Uh -huh. We were talking about DNA fermentation, mm -hmm. but we are only looking at their movement and their shape. Yeah. Yeah, and there's a gap between the maternity morphology and their DNA quality. Mm -hmm. So my PhD project is to fill this gap and trying to establish a correlation between these two. Mm -hmm. So we can, for example, we uh, establish a prediction model and we validate this model using my uh, data right now. Mm -hmm. And then you can use the model for real-time and non-invasive prediction. Mm. Mm. So how, do you, how does your model work? You like separate each of the sperm and something and then you yeah. analyze it for different features? Yeah. Do you code these features or what, what kind of features are you looking at? So like if it's linear in its trajectory yeah. or if it... How to mention the WHO uh, criteria. Oh, of course. WHO, uh, the World Health WHO? Yeah. Okay. The World Health Organization, they have their, um, it's a gold standard within the field. Everyone's following the WHO criteria. Uh -huh. WHO defined. Oh, WHO, yeah. Yeah, WHO World defined the uh, normal criteria for motility hmm. and also for morphology. Hmm. And um, back in clinics, every embryologist during their training process, mm -hmm. they will read carefully. The WHO manual. The criteria. Yeah, yeah, I learned that criteria. Oh, wow. Yeah, and the thing is, that criteria were not defined for such treatment. Mm -hmm. You know, it was for a male factor diagnosis. So we have a couple going to the clinic, mm -hmm. and we want to know whether it's a, uh, due to the husband or due to the wife, they don't have a baby. Mm -hmm. So we do, it's similar to the blood test you do. You examine your semen from the father, mm -hmm. and normally we don't do some. Oh, you infer which it is based on. Yeah, and then WHO right. defined, for example, the percentage of sperm moving forward. Yeah. Or in their world, with rapid and progressive motility. Mm -hmm. Rapid means fast. Progressive mm -hmm. means it's moving forward. It's not in. Yeah. Yeah. And also for morphology, they have some very strict criteria. Mm -hmm. And. Those two criteria are all defined for a population-based. 
the population means you have a uh, semen uh. sample. You take one part of the sample, mm -hmm. you do the motility test to test to see the uh, how many sperms are swimming forward, and take another part oh, so of you, the sample, you do the morphology examination. It's defined by ratios, basically. Yeah, it's just a ratio. Okay. It's never for um, one specific. Yeah. Yeah. So you say, uh, some arbitrary number, 60% of these sperm are progressive and moving, yeah. and then you're like, okay, it's a good specimen. Yeah. Um, it's probably not the guy. Yeah. And you can infer that it is the woman if they're having trouble with pregnancy. Yeah. Or vice versa, you can see the guy has 20% yeah, yeah, yeah. or something exactly. like this. Ah, interesting. And uh, what does that change about the process in this? Um, the first thing is you're not testing the same sperm, the same cell. Yeah. It's on the population. Yes. And uh, also, th there's no correlation or established correlation between these parameters you get, the percentage, and the DNA test. Mm. Yeah. And uh, also, if you do the morphology test, you have to kill the sperm as well. Yes. Yeah, you do the uh, sample process, mm -hmm. you kill the sample, yeah. and uh, you stain them using either fluorescent or non-fluorescent dyes. So, okay, you have so some chemical that yeah, some colors chemical, them or something? Or yeah. And why you color them? So you can see them more easily? Yeah. Otherwise, the contrast is too low. Yes, I would imagine. Because so, they're basically like, what, see-through or something? Yeah. And this makes them have edges for you effectively. Yeah. yeah. OK. And my research is to, first is at a single cell level. Mm -hmm. It corresponds to the same sperms, yeah. morphology, how it looks, how it swims, and it's the fermentation. Mm -hmm. And the way I do it is I use my robotic system. Mm -hmm. We always do cell surgery, so it's the same stuff, same setup. And what I do is I first record a video for the three seconds mm -hmm. of a, the same sperm. Oh, well, yeah. And then during our data collection, it's uh, randomly chose a uh, just a random sperm. And uh, using the robotic system, I pick the sperm up mm -hmm. and uh, put it into another um, droplet to, for collection. Gotcha. Yeah, and within that, that droplet, I record the position of each, each single sperm. And then Using this collection droplet, uh, I do the DNA test. Do the DNA test. You yeah. you kill the sperm to evaluate its DNA. Yeah. Ah, I see. And uh, I mentioned I recorded the re uh, coordinates, right? Yep. So it can match who is who. Yep. Yeah, that's. Do they move around a lot, or like it, so? I'm imagining you put them in a small drop. Yeah. And then, I mean, maybe you know their start position, you know their end position. Yeah. You can use that as a feature for something. Yeah. How far they traveled. Yeah. Um, and you place them maybe far enough in this apart in this drop that you make sure that they are not you're not confusing them. Mm. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. Ah, and okay. then during the DNA test, you don't you don't mind their you don't care about their movement or morphology anymore. Okay. Because you you have to kill them anyway. Yes. Yeah, and then after you get the data, mm -hmm. you can analyze their correlation. Mm -hmm. And my conclusion is now right now is although WHO's criteria were not initially defined for such single-cell treatment, mm -hmm. um, their definition of normal do lead to a good DNA quality. Mm. Yeah, and that's the first time that we confirmed this correlation at single-cell level. Wow, yeah. okay, very interesting. Yeah. Let's see, okay, and then going forward. Okay. What, um, 
So you're finishing your PhD now, or coming close? Yeah, I'm coming close. What are your plans following? Mm, the immediate next step is to I'm gonna to uh, stay for a postdoc. Mm -hmm. I mean, within the same lab, the same supervisor, mm -hmm. and to uh, push my results into real clinical impact. Mm -hmm. Meaning, I'm gonna do the clinical trials. Mm. For example, we uh, have the same patient is the same couple, and we use our algorithm to select the best sperm, and we have the doctors mm -hmm. select based on their experience. And then we inject all the eggs yeah. just randomly. And then we evaluate the fertilization rate, oh. all the, uh, and then the quality of the embryo. Okay, so you basically, you and the, uh, I forget how to say the word, but the person who's fertilizing the eggs for a profession, yeah. they, you're going to inject a set of eggs and then you're going to evaluate, one, the number of hits you have, as in the number of ones that are successfully fertilized, and then yeah. also the quality yeah. of them. And you want to see if you can make a, an improvement over yeah. the... Okay. Yeah. And we are hoping that uh, the machine can do a better job than mm -hmm. humans. Yeah. Because humans are too qualitative, mm -hmm. and it's not quantitative anymore. Gotcha. Also, it's uh, inconsistent. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. The inconsistency would be the big thing, Yeah, I would imagine. Mm. The, um, so then the, the two results that you want are that you have more successfully fertilized eggs yeah. and that the eggs that are fertilized are generally of higher quality yeah. in that ABCD scale yeah. that you mentioned. Yeah. That would be like ideal results. Yeah, and then we can follow, uh, follow the results yeah, further mm -hmm. to uh, transfer the embryos back into the mother, to oh. the patient. How does that work? Uh, we just follow the standard uh, routine clinical procedure. Yeah. Yeah. And do that with that robotic system as well? Uh, no. It's uh, Okay. I would imagine that's a bit... Oh, but you fertilize the egg and then you have a person deliver that into yeah. the... Yeah. So our job is to do the selection uh -huh. and... Um, Insemination of the yeah. egg. Yeah. If it's the right word. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then a person will scoop it up, place it in. Yeah. Gotcha. Very interesting. And then, so after your postdoc, what are your plans? The long-term goal is, so let's say we are already... Say your results it. come out great. Yeah. yeah. It's good results. And then my next step is to um, start up a company to help the uh, clinics to select better mm -hmm. sperm. And also it's uh, for consistent selection. Yeah. Yeah. And... Um, um, right now here I'm in University of Toronto. Mm -hmm. We are collaborating with the, uh, the largest uh, IVF center, the fertility clinics mm -hmm. in, the, uh, in, in Canada. Mm -hmm. And their cycle numbers, meaning the pace of couples, number of couples visiting their clinic per year is around 2,000. So you can imagine just that's roughly five or six treatments per day. Yeah. And if we have the IEB ready, Actually, we are uh, planning to apply for RAB for that process. Mm -hmm. mm. We, let's say we have the RAB in process. Mm. IRB, Institutional Review Board. Yeah, yeah, the uh, okay. ethics board. The ethics board. Yeah. To make sure it's like human studies compliant. And yeah, yeah, hurt, it's you already approved. Risky things. Yeah. yeah. So once you say you have the IRB. Okay. Yeah, we have that in place. Uh, we can move our software into the clinic. Uh-huh. 
yeah, and collaborate with our um, collaborator here. Uh, but that depends, you know, depends on whether the patient will give you their consent, mm -hmm. whether they're approved to particip participate into the, this study. Mm -hmm. And also we are considering collaboration back in China. Mm -hmm. You know, the population there is... Much larger. Yeah, much larger. So how many um, patients per year would you see? Uh, normally it's... Uh, so here it's 2,000 yep. in Canada per year. Back in China it's... Or at this one station in Toronto, which is the largest one you were saying. Is that yeah, correct? Yeah, okay. that's correct. Okay. And but back in China that would be 40,000 per year. Gotcha. That's 20 times higher. Which city? Mm, we have multiple cities. For example, Shanghai, we have also Beijing in Nanjing, yeah. different cities. Gotcha. So a lot of these larger cities, they yeah. have massive clinics. And so you could, in theory, be able to get results a lot quicker and a yeah. lot more. So that would make your results yeah, that's stronger. Correct. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. And then, so start a company around this. Yeah. That would be awesome. Um, what would you imagine for a timeline for this? For a timeline... Um, for my postdoc or for the clinical trials, Both, I think, I guess. yeah, I mean, the clinical trials will be during my postdoc um, duration, right? Mm -hmm. That will be like in the next two or three years mm -hmm. at most. And then for the company, I think we need to further, because I know it's not only about technology. Mm -hmm. It's all about how do you design a product. Yeah. How, what we are delivering to the customers. And maybe the regulatory environment, environment as well. Yeah. For these kinds of things. Yeah, yeah. these are for like clinical applications. Absolutely. Medical devices. There will be, yeah, I think within the next five or to ten years. Mm -hmm. That's my next step. Gotcha. Thank you. Thanks. And that's the end of today's podcast. There's plenty more, though, on our website at robohub.org forward slash podcast, where you can also find all our past episodes. And for the more eagle-eyed among you, our website will also tell you about our Patreon campaign. As a podcast entirely run by volunteers, we rely on support from our listeners to enable us to keep bringing you the latest from robotics labs and conferences around the world. Currently, we're fundraising to enable us to cover the International Conference on Intelligent Robots and Systems later this year. So if you can spare just a few dollars a month, the cost of a cup of coffee, consider supporting us and learn more at robohub.org forward slash podcast. We'll be back with another episode in two weeks' time. Until then, goodbye. Babies with Robohub, the podcast for news and views on robotics.